We are back! Off the Beat finally returns after eight long months with a brand new series called Off Season Chats. I'm Kiran Rajagopalan. And I'm Amaya King. We had a lot of fun creating season one, and we've spent some time since thinking deeply about where we want to take the show. And we thought about the five key pillars that ground the work that we're doing. We want our work to be simple, accessible, conversational, actionable, and joyful. As we continue to develop new content, we are firmly committed to building a new dance future with these foundations, one beat at a time. With that, we're thrilled to kick off a series of conversations with dancers who are forging new paths in their artistic, personal, and professional lives. Today, we're going to have an off-season chat with our first guest, and she is a Mumbai-based Bharatanatyam dancer, curator, and entrepreneur who has created India's first crowdfunded classical dance festival. And she skillfully blends her business and marketing acumen with her deep and passionate commitment to her artistry. Please welcome to Off-Season Chats, Kirtana Ravi. Thank you, Kiran. Thank you, Amaya, for having me over. Really excited to have this conversation with you guys. This is your first podcast, isn't it? Yes. I'm quite nervous about it because I don't know how squeaky I'll sound on air. The magic of post-production. Yeah. Oh, thanks for that. <laughs> I don't have to try to like have this deep voice. Hello, Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited that we can just talk with you. Could you tell us about your artistic journey? Basically, I come from a non-Brahmin middle-class family in Bangalore. And my grandmother was very interested into Bhagavad Gita and Vedic chanting. So in a way, she kind of broke the norm and got into that very Brahminical space and started taking classes, learning first, and then she started initiating others into Bhagavad Gita and Bal Vihar classes. She was a deep follower of Swami Chinmayananda. So I remember going with her for all these classes and I would like, I was all of three and I would sleep in the class and things like that. But I, I remember from then those stories that she kept mentioning that used to be the favorite part for, for me in, the, in her bhajan classes. So I think the family atmosphere was very conducive to appreciating art, not necessarily knowing a lot, but being appreciative towards art. And uh, my uncle, uh, that's my dad's younger brother, he was a jazz and ballet dancer oh, wow. and kind of quit a government job to pursue this full time. And I was, I think I was about nine or 10. And I clearly, vividly remember the day that he put down his papers at the government office and came home. And my mom was like, no, don't do this. Just another five years, you'll probably get a pension. Please don't do this. And, you know, he was like, mm -hmm. he just listened to her. And I went for class that evening. And he was so happy, content, making this really big decision. So that had a really deep impact in my mind. And I never knew after that, I never thought of it. And it never came into my mind. And I was pursuing Bharatanatyam in that period of time. I had already started. I started when I was in when I was six. And I was also parallelly learning with my uncle. I was doing this jazz and all. And I was really, I was clearly not good at that. And there came a point where I had to decide between this and that because both the styles were affecting the other. And I don't know why I just chose Bharatanatyam. I just felt like it was something that I felt very strongly and deeply about. And from then on, I've had a fabulous guru. Her name is Gurushimati Padmini Ramachandran. She's a Varavur artist. And I think she gave each one of her students a unique identity with people who needed to be disciplined, with people who liked to have goals. She would teach them and train them like that. But with people like me who just wanted to not be pushed, just enjoy dance class, she would be soft with us so she really as a teacher you know now every day when I teach I just keep thinking of her because she gave me so much without telling me the freedom that I had in class to ask questions to love and hate dance in my journey with her was amazing 
and she would not like push you when you don't want to come and 10 standard hall exams should be like yeah take off or there were so many times where i went away from dance for a couple of months but dance would always draw me back and my teacher gave me that space to wander to look at other pastures to go pursue she was very upset when i went to do my mba in amdavad she was like the whole world is coming to bangalore to work and study and what are you going to go do there so she was very upset but i had to go and i wanted to study outside bangalore and i went and when i came back it was as good as ah okay so what did you do there how many programs did you do there it was never about oh you finished mba so what's your job and things like that she was so invested in her art at any given point in time all she cared about was bharatanatyam all she cared about was dance and not once have i ever heard her diss the form diss the art form she was so in love with bharatanatyam and i think that is what she transferred to each one of us that passion that love it's just like when you see her eyes as soon as you enter class you're just like oh i have to dance today and i think every day since then every day i practice so whenever i practice whenever i watch or think of dance it's just love and i think that i completely owe to the guru that i had there was no unnecessary gossip there was no talking about this one and that one and she felt that the art form was limitless and i grew with like with every 10 standard 12 standard and then working i worked at goldman sachs and i had night shift so i would go to class in the evening early evenings or i do weekend classes so at no point in time did i feel my academics my life and you know my dance was separate things it was always going with me parallelly like a friend but when i went to do my mba in amdabad that's when i it really struck me that how invested i am in my dance i never knew because it was so convenient right i was living close to my dance teacher in bangalore all distances are like 15 20 minutes you have a bike so you go with i went to dance class and i went to office i've been office at 10 am finish work in the evening i'll catch one program at seva sadhan so things like this you could like multitask and it was not difficult when i went to amdabad i was living in a hostel and we were like in the fourth floor and there were boys in the second floor and you know it was a mixed hostel so obviously you can't practice and everyone will wake up 5 minutes before classes so you can't practice early morning and all but i would go to the terrace when there was no one there was no program there was no guru watching over me there was nothing but i'd still do it because that really made my day happen and that's when i realized that you know this is just not some pastime thing that i do in the side this is main this is really important in fact when i went for my mba interview at amdabad i didn't go and check out my b school first i went and checked out darpana that's uh, mrinalini amma's uh, institution there i went and i saw the dance class first and i was like i can come here there's a good class and beautiful atmosphere i was like okay and then i went to my college but you know back then you never think that it's such a important part of life so i think until my mba dances very happily coming when i don't have exams i'll have programs and summer vacations would be fully about dance and things used to happen that way in mba i realized that this is not a small love it is like a deep passion and i just can't live without it so i came back and to justify what i spent for my mba and for the fact that i went to a really good b school i worked for a couple of years the turning point i think for me moving into taking dance professionally happened that there were small small incidents and then i was like i can't keep doing this to myself anymore so i clearly remember going for a performance of malvika sarukai in bangalore at chaudhary and there was i forget her name the head of britannia and she is this woman who's broken the glass ceiling and i totally looked up to her because i was working for a brand in britannia so i had seen her at one of the main discussions and seminars where we were just like called to take notes so i was like very in awe of her and obviously malvika akka i was like doubly awed so i remember texting back then was my birthday i remember texting reji singh you know two powerful women in the auditorium it's like such a such a i, I don't know who i'm looking at and so amazing to be here so he just innocently replied back saying you know what you can be the one on stage or you can be the one off stage and that just pierced right into my heart and I'm like oh my god i now regret regret saying it but <laughs> i mean that was a very very important thing to hear at that point in time and then there were my friends 
my peers like Shruti and Sneha, my friends in dance class, who were also into dancing and they had completely not they were like completely professionally into dance so when i came back from my mba i was like constantly liking their photographs on facebook and it really made me upset that you know why am i not dancing they're as good or as bad as me but they have the courage to take it professionally and it used to bother me so much because i had tens and tons of reasons not to do dance like i was like oh what if i injure my leg then i'll be jobless it doesn't pay well <laughs> i'm not beautiful i'm not tall i don't come from this background like my parents don't know anybody how will i do it and you have to keep begging everyone for performances is this the way i want to live my life there were so many reasons to not do it and i was just waiting for that one reason one point to kind of push me so this happened and then my friends started doing it professionally and then i'm like you know my game plan was like when i'm 30 35 i'll save up and then i'll only dance then i just realized that if this is something that you want to do full time and professionally you must give your best years of your life to it not like you know get everything cozy comfortable and then dance and i just jumped in i moved to bombay and that was the same year i decided to quit work and pursue it full time so it was a very big decision for me and i think i made it only because i could not not dance the whole day there came a point where i was in a startup which was so flexible i would and great salary and everything was perfect and i was like why am i doing this report i just want to watch that i just want to dance i'm like why am i doing this to myself and it was a very good job okay like in india to get like like work life balance is difficult especially when you're starting off which is why i went to this smaller place and it was all in line like just like you go at 10:30 you finish at 4:30 also if you want you can go but i was just feeling like it's a crime i'm doing something like this is not what i want so then i had decided that i'm going to quit i had saved up for like for a some amount of money i was feeling financially safe when i quit work and then i took up dance full time so that's how it has translated and after that then it's just a whole different story after taking it up full time thank you no that was a brilliant kick off to this chat that we're having and you answered actually quite a few questions that we had lined up the one thread that seems to be running through is joy it's a very important part of the culture here at Off the Beat. So for our listeners who tuned in last season, we had a whole episode that just talked about joy and joy in dance and joy in being and how it's a transformative power. When it comes to other aspects of your professional journey as a dancer, you've also been such an amazing entrepreneur in, in some ways, especially with spearheading India's first crowdfunded classical dance festival. And so the next question that I have for you is actually about the role of social media, especially in starting up the Avum Festival, for example, and also its influence on your artistic and professional journey. So that's a big question. So I'll just trace my steps back a bit. So when I moved to Bombay, I was... this is a huge city and i come from bangalore where i like my college there are like 5000 girls and everybody knows everybody you live in the same neighborhood you've gone to the similar schools your friends of friends of friends so anywhere in bangalore remember appointment and we'll just be walking down mg road and brigade road and you'll be saying hi to so many people and cut to this mumbai where there are thousands when they say sea of people i mean i understood what they mean when i was at andheri station like every evening i would get off that station <laughs> and walk across the station bridge to take an auto to go back home post my practice at uh, sankhya dance company studio in which was very far away from home every day i would look and see is there even one person who knows me here because that was so important for me like my identity knowing people having connections having friends it was such a big part of the person that i am so it used to really bother me so much whenever i walk across that bridge and then slowly my identity was shaped because of my passion profession because of dance i started finding more people big through my own dance circles and i think 
I used to go for a lot of performances in the evening because back then I wasn't teaching. I was only practicing the full, like full, full day. And whenever we'd have performances in which, whichever part of the t- country, I'd, I'd go to that place. So a lot of, like not only a lot of time, I really wanted to engage with dance more than what I was doing. So I'd go for a lot of performances. And then I was like, oh my God, I didn't even know that Mumbai had so many dancers. I didn't know that there is a college there are not one, there are two really good institutions, Nalanda, which produces graduates and postgraduates year after year. What are they doing? Where are their opportunities? Where are they performing? And why are they not performing? So these questions used to plague me a lot and I kept going for many performances. And I also felt that the local community was not represented enough in the top-notch institutions. Like it felt a little unfair that you're calling people from Chennai and, and XY and Delhi and, you know, abroad, but you're not giving your own city dancers an opportunity. Yeah, it reminds me of the Kalke Kalakar Festival, for example, where, you know, I was surprised that almost all of the participants, myself included, were not only from other parts of India, but oftentimes from like the US or from the UK that are participating in this festival. So you have a really interesting point about wanting to form community through dance, especially in a place that is basically very similar to New York City, where it's a city of dreams in some ways, but it's also a city where you have to forge your own path and create your own community from scratch, it sounds like. Absolutely, absolutely. So I kept going and then every time I'd go, I'd be like, oh my God, there are so many dancers, good standard. I'd be like, how sad, how sad. And then finally there came a point where I went and watched a really top-notch performer and I saw that there were like 20 people in the audience and I was really angry. I was so angry. I was like, why would this Sabha not promote this event and not do anything and get people? Why wouldn't they even tell four of us to kind of spread the word. We would have at least tried and gotten more people. So from that anger, and basically it was a very selfish motive that I felt like today there are 20 people in the audience for my art form. Tomorrow there'll be two. What will I do? What will happen? So if I don't be the change that I want to see, who's going to do it? If I'm not going to turn around and make some platforms or do a festival or whatever, speak about it, get more people to watch shows, then who's going to do it? So that's how I came up with Avam. And that is why, because I felt like the city didn't have enough platforms. And I also felt like there was a, not only was there a dearth of opportunities to watch good performances, as a Rasika also, there were a lot of people who wanted to watch. And Mumbai is a very big city. So accessibility is a big issue. Even for a person like me who's so invested in dancing, on a Sunday to take a train and go to NCPA, which is like an hour away from home, is a big ask. One day I was just like in the train station because on Sundays it's a, the frequency is less. So you're waiting for like nearly half an hour. And I'm like, uh, would I do this if I was not a dancer? It's like never. So then I felt like we need to kind of make smaller spaces, decentralize the performing scene so that more people can get in and more people can be touched by the art form. So that's how Avam happened. And the first year, you know that I can make friends very easily. And so here... Of, I was very homesick. So I would go to this place called Matunga. And I remember shedding tears and all because there would be things written in Tamil, Kannada and Telugu, like on the shops. So that used to be my, whenever I miss home, I'll go there to eat idli and all that. So one of the times I found this place called uh, Mysore Association, which is a very beautiful old building and uh, they promote the art a lot, theater, literature and of course dance and music. And I went and I spoke in Kannada and I made friends with them. And I would, whenever I would be in Matuka, I just genuinely just happily just drop in, speak to those uncles. And they were very like professors and principal of some college and some were physicists. And, you know, it used to be a very interesting chat. I used to drop in like maybe once in a few months. Then they just said, why don't you just dance here? We'll give you the auditorium for free. I was like, oh, wow, okay, okay. And all, and I was like, okay, pick the date. And I was like, okay. And then I said, yeah, I'll take it for this date. They were like, okay, so what are you going to present? I said, no, 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 I'm not going to present. I'll organize a festival. They were like, okay, they're giving it for you to perform. I was like, no, 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 don't give me. I can come inside any time, but I'll, I'll do something. And because I got this auditorium, free of cost or rather it was a collaboration which you know later it was later what I decided to do, name it as because of that I was like 
now one big expense is taken care of because mumbai auditoriums are super expensive it's not like bangalore chennai where you know you go with 5000 rupees and all you'll get one nice auditorium with lights and sounds here it's not so since the auditorium came in i was like what to do and you know should i call this person that i asked a few people and you know i just decided i'll call rama ma'am rama vaidyanathan yeah rama vaidyanathan oh her had attended maybe one or two of her workshops and i was like i'll go to call her so my husband's like registered like, what is wrong with you why will she say yes i like it's so hot let's just ask so i asked and she's like okay kirtana fine just give me a moment let me think about it she called back and she asked me a few pertinent questions she asked me why am i doing it for whom am i doing it and what do i want to achieve from doing this and i realized in those three questions and my answers it just summarized everything and why and my aspirations for avam for asabodi and i think i'm so grateful to her that she accepted to come to this unknown festival by an unknown person and i said akka you please perform with recorded music because i can only offer a small sum of money and that money i was self invested into the festival so she's like no 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 i'll bring a live orchestra you don't worry about it just ensure that your remuneration we you don't worry about it then she said let's do a workshop so it will aid in the festival remuneration so that's how the first avam happened and i clearly remember i had ticketed the show and the same mysore association people were like are you sure you know you're giving things for free also the auditorium is hardly full you're going to charge tickets i don't know who is going to come so i said sir you don't worry about all that it's my headache i'll manage and that's when i used facebook i personally called i had a list of dancers somebody had given me a list of names with numbers i had called all of them individually and told them this is happening and then i also put an advertisement in the paper in that rama ma'am had mentioned right live orchestra i was like okay why do i have to isn't it obvious or things like that and there were a lot of people who came in because it was a live orchestra they were not dance crowd particularly but they came because it had music so there were a lot of small things that i learned while doing my first festival that really helped me through the next years and i hand delivered like tickets if it was more than 5 tickets i would go and deliver in their house or even if it was more than 3 tickets i would deliver in their house then i had kind of geographically kept ticket places had like i'll come here and i'll give you your ticket so for all those individual tickets people would drop in and then when i was doing that at juhu at prithvi theater somebody who wanted to buy two three tickets she bought two three tickets she just took out a check and she wrote it and she gave it i was like why are you doing this i don't know you i can't take money she's like no to see a young dancer do so much for the art form i'm really impressed with you and you know she was my first funder until date she ensure she gives me a check before the in jan she called me and said when is evam i'm sending you the check is it the same address so when she did that it was such a big deal for me and then again because i could speak kannada and you know i had like the state bank of mysore uh, account and mysore association too had an account with them and they were just on the same road so that i mean i was a little like smart in these things so i went to them i spoke to the main head and then they were like of course we'll give mysore association of course we'll give you because you're a account holder so these small small things which i kind of knew and i tried to use for funding in the first festival so i got a small fund from state bank i got like my mother in law was in indian oil so one small amount came and very small amounts these are not amounts that you can cover anything but it made the festival look big it made the festival look legit so that really really made a difference so the first year the auditorium was packed it was full and i was like what have you done like really great you do i mean you this is a fabulous audience and she had presented mad and divine and the next day we had this beautiful workshop for like people from all over india came this was the point where we would travel place to place to learn from either ramavai chenathan or whoever you were fans of you know like i remember doing that for like a whole year so we had a bunch of people who would anyways come every anywhere that ramavai was teaching at so all that really made a big difference and what turned the game was i used to watch a lot of plays i went to prithvi and i watched this theater festival called thespo in which i had incidentally volunteered when i was in college in bangalore so they were doing crowdfunding and i was like this is amazing and i met the co-founder of the platform which i crowdfunded from wishberry and she also was like yeah yeah you should crowdfund uh, first your festival and you know they say channa ke 
पेड़ पे चढ़ाया I just went for this two weekend festival and just went ahead because there was somebody to encourage you to just say no 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 go for it but I realized in crowdfunding there was a lot of merit at that point of time because firstly it was novel nobody had done it also I wasn't going to brands who are not interested in dance who are not interested in art and culture I was talking to people who are directly invested in dance either their performers or their musicians you'll be surprised about the number of musicians who funded AVM and then there were parents not my students of course I hardly had any students there were parents of people who are dancers and there were so many other people who supported avam it was a lot of my friends my bigger circle my office colleagues who were like we're doing something so different and my crowdfunding amount started from 250 rupees so it was really nice to see some long lost friends or friends in college you know saying hey this is damn cool let's just invest in it so i think for me that changed the game and avam really within no matter of time kind of just completely became huge and the best part of crowdfunding is that everyone who invests used to go back after a couple of days and see oh is she reaching her target and i would get a lot of messages saying hey kirtana you're damn good you made your first 50000 so fast hey only 20000 left to finish the target so everyone were already excited about the festival and this was pr and this was excitement and buzz which i didn't do anything for it just automatically happened so i think after that then every year to kind of go from year to year has been a different challenge but every year there's a lot that i learn from each year i'll be like why am i doing this to myself like two weeks before ever like i should just just stop this and go and do one margam i want to do antrikala chatti you know i just can't do this anymore and then the first evening i'll be like next year i must program this one and like stop it you're not good but that's how it's just that once you're in it you know that you have to do it if not me then who so that's how it's a very long answer sorry But you also have a skill set for this to be able to balance both worlds which is extremely compelling to just listen to about you know I think it's also a huge risk like I was just thinking how it would be so easy if I had a lot of money or if I was earning a lot of money and every year I could just keep a few you know few lakhs or 2 3 lakhs for the festival it would be so nice but I realized but when you do that you don't push yourself hard enough like it's too comfortable it's too easy so every year i know because i know what my finances are and i hardly have any money to kind of put into the festival i mean individually independently without sponsorship or without ticketing or without funding so i really bust my butt for 2 3 months to get the money because i know i don't have it there was like the first couple of years i had a lot of savings so it was like i was like okay nahi mila to i'll pull out my investment from here i'll pull out my insurance but after 3 years like i spent all the money in performing and dancing and traveling and just living and from the third year of life in bombay and eva manal i'm like i don't have this surplus so it really pushed me out of my comfort zone it made me work so hard and i feel very very proud that every 10000 check that comes in every small amount is a huge deal for me because there was a year where i had not made it was a great year in terms of visibility and publicity and turn around and all that but something i kind of scaled it up a little too much the auditorium costs there's a lot of hidden auditorium costs that you don't know of like for example in bangalore if you pay 6000 or 7000 or 5000 you get light sound and auditorium not in bombay you're only paying for the auditorium lights is different mic is different it's crazy like you don't account for these things and that's what kind of pushed me back and then luckily at that point in time i had a workshop which i never do or which i've never done in my life and it just happened so that money i could immediately kind of give the artists so sometimes you know you make decisions without thinking but you learn from it and i'm very grateful that i have a partner on rasabodi his name is anil he's a dancer he's an industrialist as well like he has his own business so now whenever i say anil this anil that 
I know that at least to some extent my back is covered because doing it alone was extremely pressurizing. Like where will you get like from person like me? Where will I get one lakh from? It's impossible. Like I, I was barely making any money to kind of put in that much of amount. So I guess it's important to understand how to make your finances and how to make it work. So because of the financial constraint, I'm very particular about my curation because I believe that the ticket money is what is making the festival happen. So tickets is not just, oh, okay, this is just byproduct. No, it is one of the main sources of funding for the festival, at least in the current avatar that it is in. So I'm very particular about the curation. I'm very particular about who I put after whom. And I know that I become smarter about the festival over the years because of the paucity of, like all dancers have no money. So I feel adversities and things like that kind of teach you how to be smarter and sharper. Absolutely. I know one thing that's always hard to do is to ask someone to either come or to buy a ticket or to donate. How did you navigate those kind of conversations? So that was the primary reason where I didn't like going back to companies and asking them because I have a lot of my friends who are and a lot of religious friends who are, who are in the marketing side of many, many big brands. And they asked me something like cost per ratio. So that is like for a lot soap, which is sold at say 25 rupees and a ticket that is at 500 or 250 rupees. What is the thing? That means 10 soaps. So I'm down 10 soaps. Are you giving me 1,000 people for that amount that I'm giving? No. It's a very niche audience. So they're like, this doesn't make economic sense for us to invest in. And I was like, yeah, what they're saying is right. You have to accept where you are. You can't just place your case like a charity and say, no, you have to. This is a dying form. Like, I didn't want to go that route. Which is why for me at that, the second year, crowdfunding really, really worked. Because I reached the right people who wanted and believed in the art form. That was easier to do. However, I decided not to do crowdfunding from the subsequent years because I felt that I'm going back to the same circle of people. Again, you are only buying it. Again, you are only sponsoring it. Again, a dancer is only spending for dance. So where is the new money coming in? That's when I realized that I will go and sit in these few corporates who I know will give. And, you know, even though it means a lot more work and a lot more pushing, I'll go and do that at least because there'll be some new money that will circulate in, the, in our industry. Because I feel it's unfair like the dancer spends for the music, the dancer spends for the auditorium, yeah, making her. It's the same person that I'm targeting for everything. It's so unfair. So that's when I realized that sometimes the corporates help. Like in India, there are the public sectors and organizations who keep a budget year on year for events. So it's about just meeting the right person and then following through. So there have been years where the festival is like tomorrow and today we've gone and collected the check and things like that happen. There's another time where the person one week was just pulled out. That was the year I had a loss. I'm like, oh, suddenly you just pulled out. It was a lot of money. So things happen, but you need to like really understand the system properly and take the route, even though it's difficult, make it because change is difficult. Like it would have been so easy for me to keep crowdfunding my festival, but I feel like I would be doing a disservice to the industry by not getting the funds that are allocated for dance for dance. And then another thing in India, which is great, is that there is a lot of funding from the government, which I've been lazy to do. You know, you get Sangeet Natak Academy or you get your like Karnataka, Government of Culture will sponsor. So these are other funding available options available, although they might be difficult to do, but it needs to be done. Because otherwise, the resources that are there are just lying there. And they're obviously going to be misused or they're just, or you're underutilizing resources that are available for your art form. And as you asked, is it difficult to convince a person? Very difficult. Like I think for two months, three months in the year, I just take out something called my ego. I take out self-respect. I just like, let it be. Like I, I'll beg. So I've begged, I've followed up, I have traumatized people to the extent that they don't pick up my calls or messages. My friends will be like, we'll buy your ticket, Mate, please don't irritate us like this. <laughs> and I feel no shame, I feel nothing in doing doing it for Avam. However, to ask the same set of people to come for my performance or to follow up for a performance opportunity, I would not do it. I would just not do it. But somewhere for Avam, I'm like, no, this is it's a larger picture, right? It's for the larger good. So I'm like all out, like most shameless side of me will come out during the festival. <laughs> like I will try and buy 
flowers from the wholesale market. I have one person in my team who does that every year. He'll go and buy or she'll go and buy flowers and come so that it's much lesser and we'll store and save it in the fridge and all the next day and again come and reuse it so i've done a lot of things like that and i and i think that because i know the value of every thousand rupees so i would want to keep it like this that's very important i think especially to build something that's sustainable and that can keep coming back year on year you have to plan not just how do you make the biggest flash right now but also how do we plan in a way that it's manageable to keep having it happen again and again. It also reminds me about dance in general, especially in this era of social media, where the kind of effort that you put into making Avum sustainable is kind of like the way I think about the way in which we invested in our craft, especially since all of us have sort of come of age prior to social media as dancers. We learned without it initially. We performed without it initially. The way in which you have to think about curating a festival like Avum since 2016, I mean, it's now 2022 and it's still going strong. The latest was a virtual offering, which was highly successful. It's an investment in craft. And so curation is a craft. And you've clearly invested so much of your time, energy and joy into the curation side of things, as well as the artistic side of things. I'd like to shift the focus now from Avum from just a second back to your work and your journey as an artist and as a performer and a choreographer. I'm going to go a little bit out of order in terms of this interview and sort of segue into a question that we both had, which is sort of a cross between a question and an opportunity for you to discuss anything that you're working on. So is there anything that you are currently working on or have recently presented or are presenting that you'd like to share with us and our listeners? Yeah, thanks, Kiran, for getting me out of the curator mode. Yeah, as a performer, so post moving to Bombay, and then I lost my guru, and I had slowly started transitioning towards Rama Vaidyanathan. I, I train with her now, and I've been training with her for like nearly seven, eight years. There was a lot of shift in what I had perceived as dance, because down south you watch a typical particular kind of dance. But when you come to Bombay or when you come out of Bombay, you watch theater, a lot of theater. You watch different kind of work. And I had the opportunity to watch Vaibhavarikar in very close quarters. Like I see him when he's rehearsing. I see him when he's just setting pieces. And then, of course, learning with Ramana. So the perspective of dance just magnified for me. Like it just suddenly the universe was open to interpretation. Like although Padmini Ma'am also did a lot of progressive work, like she done something called Evolution of Man through Bharatanatyam, where I was like this ape and then I became human. <laughs> and it was like a lot of fun. So I've seen this kind of themes happen, but then to see a soloist embody it was kind of different. So I think from there, I started realizing that there is so much more to dance. Like there is so much of insight into what you can bring into a choreography. Like if you're a Padmini ma'am student, no, you'll be very daring like that. You'll just, ma, you'll just take out something and you'll choreograph by yourself. And then ma'am will say, ah, nala, and she'll be very encouraging about all these experiments that we do. So I just remember taking so many songs off YouTube and all was very new. We wouldn't have the full choreography. You'll just have like one line and then you're like, oh, this is the meaning. Then I'll go ask my mother or grandmother, what's the meaning and stuff. So I started choreographing Padams for myself way before I even realized or even I understood the text and subtext and things like that. So I was never afraid of choreography. That's what I'm trying to say because a lot of people my age, like they're just starting off choreographing for themselves and they're very like, is it right? Is it okay? Is it not? But we were like, ah, if it's wrong, it's wrong, but let's just do it. So I remember doing a lot of pieces on myself, for myself, for smaller programs. And I kind of started understanding how to play with words and that came to the forefront when I moved from Bangalore to Bombay. What happened in Bombay, what changed my dancing was like I had the full day to practice. Like the whole day for Riyaz. And there was no distraction. I would go into the studio by 11 in the morning, 11, 11.30. I would dance with the dancers of Sankhya. I would do all the adabus with them. And I learned the basic uh, jatis of their varnams. And, you know, so that I can just dance with them for two, three hours. Then after that, I will do my personal stamina practice and then in the evenings I would sit and read something or I would try and work on some music that's already available you know in Hindi they say fursat se 
like with the luxury of time i started dancing and that really really changed me as a person changed my vision about dancing made me a better artist and i started understanding what when you say craft such a beautiful word i started understanding what is my craft that part of life was beautiful my i think 5 6 years i had the luxury to just invest and you know like a horse just go on with blinkers like there was no this side there was no that side i would have one program in 3 months or you know even lesser maybe but it was never for the program it was like just as a day and i told myself like just as you used to go to office every single day like that you have to go and work in the studio whether you have a program or not so that really shifted me and changed me as an artist and i think i'm a very opinionated person i'm very expressive i've always had an opinion even if i don't know things when i was younger and it is only <laughs> and it it has only grown stronger i remember a questioning challenging my teacher saying ma'am why is she always crying why is she always waiting for this person so she would teach me piece then she'd be like okay unakku na nalla oru piece kedu i found a nice piece and she would teach me a kandita naika piece so she would change the ending where the koi girls in hindu which they were okay you can come in and all no sometimes it happens so she would make me shut the door every single time and i would be very happy with like yeah this is exactly what i would have done so she <laughs> gave me the space to interpret the anaika or the piece the way i wanted to or which suited my temperament and personality i remember her telling me that guni guni like bend bend and i'm like i was like oh, i'm doing it. she's like in life you're never bend right which is why you don't know what it means to be submissive and i'm like such a heavy statement <laughs> but i think my personality was such that i would always question even with my teacher so i've had conversations about hereditary dancers and none of the other people in the class would have had this conversation with her i've asked her so she's answered i've always been like that so somewhere i started feeling that my dance and my intellect was kind of not coming together as i kept growing more in dance i was feeling i was doing pieces where somewhere that intelligence that emotional intelligence was not reflected in the piece and i took a step back and i said okay if i have to speak this poem what is it that i want to say and i started tweaking a few small small things in in sahityam that i started working on and then that's how this work on the female body being similar to a flowing river i wrote it in english and i sent it to karthik and within like 15 minutes he sent me something back in kannada which is so beautiful so that's where the first independent production solo production that was the first work and uh, kiran has seen it karthik hebar if you out there listening to this podcast i just want to say on the record huge fan of your work he's a great collaborator isn't he absolutely absolutely so full of ideas and very sensitive kiran really sensitive singer sensitive artist that's so important nuance like you can get a singer to maybe the greatest of singers can sing amazing things but to have a conversation to have a dialogue about what you're presenting is so important so i really found a friend and a great collaborator in karthik and i've done smaller smaller projects with uh, him this piece that i did during the pandemic for a project called pratiru where we were under cross mentorship so i was under a kathak guru called prerna shri mali ji and every dancer went to another art form like a mentor from another art form and there i explored this piece on kabir's kabir's fantastic piece called ujjayega hans akela so it's a very deep philosophical poem one of his masterpieces it was just amazing to have this conversation with prerna ji and layer after layer he kept unraveling and unraveling you know can i do this can i do that can i do this so it that was a again a very very big learning for me and i think i take back a lot from that project because suddenly there was something that just opened because she's a kathak artist and she doesn't follow my format of things she said are you open to not formatting it i said i'm open to everything that you say certain things i want to be completely open so she just broke it open the poem and how to interpret it it was really beautiful that's a piece of work that i'm very happy and proud of and i really hope i can revisit it and perform it for like a live audience sometimes You should because I remember seeing the piece and having known you for so many years now. I also saw in that piece 
a real rooting in all that you had absorbed over the years of your riyas and sadhana, especially with the time spent alone. And I'm sure that the experiences that you've had with the mentors and the teachers who have come into your life have also influenced, like, for example, Vaiba of Sir's work is very much rooted in theater and theater techniques as well, right? So I saw a bit of that approach because you didn't take it like just as a straight Bharatanatyam-esque interpretation of a philosophical piece. You kind of brought in the moments of stillness, of character and world building that are very much intrinsic in theater. So I did see such a transformation in your dance in that piece in particular. And then, of course, working with Rama Ma'am, being under her, her ideas, her insights, her just how beautifully she interprets anything and everything about dance. Like she keeps saying, you know, there is nothing that we can't tell a story with, about. Sorry. You can't tell, a, you can tell a story about anything through our idiom. So I genuinely believe that in every time I look at a different topic or a, a new poem or a, an, anything new and different, I'm like, I'm sure my art form can. I'm sure I can. Maybe as individually as a dancer, I'm not able to get it. But my art form has space to interpret any story. That's really awesome. What's the best advice you've received during your dance journey? Ramamam has said, she always says it and it's one of my favorite things that she says. It's like you have to treat your dance form. I mean, if you treat your dance form like a friend, it'll be like a friend. If you treat it like, like your spouse, it'll be like your spouse. If you treat it like an affair, it'll be like an affair. So your relationship with your dance, what you give to dance, dance gives back to you. So I think that really goes deep into my psyche because at a point in time it was just dance i would just leave home at 9 30 come back at 10 30 11 and the whole day i would be immersed in it and i think because i did that for like four five years before i became a mother it really really shaped my dance so much and i feel that like when i don't dance for two three weeks when i come back i know how it is like I know like, dance is telling me like, hey, 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 it's going to give me a kick. And, you know, with COVID and then obviously pregnancy was a really big long break. But, you know, when you don't dance for two, three weeks and you go back in Hindi, they say, Ruta hua, Ruta hai. so this lover who's like upset with you. And then you have to kajol her or kajol him and then you get him back and say, you know, I'm sorry. And then you do that for four or five days and then the sixth day, maybe your legs hurt less. So I treat my dance as a as a person, like it's a real living thing for me. And it, it goes from that, from that line that she says. There's another thing that Rama Akka had said really recently in one of the Riyaz videos that she did, that also coming into dance with a leisurely attitude, you come in, you don't necessarily force yourself to dance a certain way, you just respond to dance as you said, as a living thing, as something that is in your life and dance is a part of life. And I thought that was really also a beautiful piece of advice that she had given. Because I think for me personally, my relationship to dance at this time is kind of where you were prior to taking it up full time. So I took it up full time. And then when I moved back to the US, I have now relegated it to the sidelines somewhat, but I dance in some way almost every day, whether it's in the shower or whatnot. As soon as she said that, it taught me to also be gentle with my relationship to my body and to dance and to say, this is what I can do right now. I can see why, you know, Ramaka's words have a lot of power to them because she has a beautiful relationship to dance that you can see very much in her choreography and performance. Yeah, very true. And I think it wasn't like an advice. It was like a reinstatement for me, like to something that I kept thinking and I was, it was very difficult for me to accept at, certain, at a point in time. So like everybody else, year on year, I'd go to Chennai for the Marvel, sit and clap. So in the audience, like I, I've, I've been doing this consistently, consecutively. And then there was a, and I would always be like, when will I get this chance? When will I be able to perform? And there was a year where Praveen sir was at 11.30. And on the same evening, Vaibhav sir was at 6 p.m. Like by now I'm like really close to Vaibhav sir. And you know, it was a big deal when sir got the 6 p.m. slot. And Praveen sir, I've always been a fan from Bangalore. I've loved his approach to dance. And there was this 10 a.m. slot as well. And this has happened over three, four days. So I was watching Praveen sir. Suddenly I just realized, what do I want? Do I want this slot or do I want this artistry? And it just, you know, after I understood 
I'm not here because I want to be on music academy stage or I want to perform in XYZ place. I'm here because there is nothing that makes me happier than dancing every day. It is that love. Yes, it's good to have ambition. It's good to have goals. It's good to desire improvement. But then suddenly, you know, it just, it really, really calmed me and it made life so much better after I'd accepted that it's okay if I don't get this platform, but I want to get this art form. Like I need to get this artistry. I need to hone my craft. I need to be like this. And then after that, I've been a little more calm and positive and it's been so much better rather than, you know, oh, I'm not God. And then you get into that cycle, am I not good enough? And then you're questioning yourself and then you're like, I should apply here and you know, now I know I'm working towards something else, which is not just the platform. If the platform happens, whenever it happens, great. If it doesn't also, it's okay. And then when I watch Sir at 6pm and I watch Vibhav Sir at 6pm, I'm like, he is here in his late 40s. Why am I sitting and cribbing at, you know, I was I was 30, 31 or something at that point. I was like, why am I cribbing? It's taken him longer, but he's here. And how good, how good. And I was like, this is it. Like, like, I'm not going to feel pressurized or feel less of a dancer because I have not performed in XYZ platforms. And I think that really, really helped my dance career, my dance journey. It made me a better person, much more happier. And I'm happier artist. I think we all need to come to certain understanding that, yeah, these are the things I can achieve. These are the things I can't. And let me make peace with it. It really taught me. I think maybe you can call it adulting or growing up or just understanding. No, I think that's huge because, you know, when we're young, we're like, we're told, oh, you can be anything. And then as we kind of pass each decade, the possibility sort of, if we think about it in a negative way, we can say it narrows. But if we want to think about it in a positive way, we can say it becomes more focused, right? But the stuff that maybe was in the realm of possibility when, you know, we're 16, by the time we're in our 30s and and, uh, and on... Maybe if we've lost the window to put in the time to do those things, but that's because we've used that time to really hone in on what we have spent in the decade or two before. So I think that that's really important. So going back to that relationship with dance, who is dance to you today? <laughs> I think dance is everything to me. Like it's my friend, it's my safe space, it's my counselor, it's my therapist. It's my love, lover, it's my boyfriend, it's my mother. It can be as exciting as playing with my baby. So for me, dance, somewhere, it has become inseparable. Even if I'm not practicing, like Kiran said, even if I'm not practicing that day, the whole day, somewhere, something is around dance. It's a conversation that I'm having with someone. It's something that I'm watching. It's something that I'm consuming. It's something that I'm reading about. It is something that I am daydreaming about. There have been days, weeks where I have not been able to dance because of the pandemic, because there's no space or just, you know, life happens. I, I have a toddler at home and it was really difficult in the pandemic for me to even like just do a normal alaripu. There was no space. It was really, really hard. I remember one day I just went down in the building and this was like proper lockdown. So you're not allowed to leave the apartment and stuff like that. Like you can't just walk out and go anywhere unless and until you're buying groceries so i just went one day in the lobby of the apartment and i played the music on the on the thing and i did this whole bharnam and I, there's so much space right so you can just jump around and dance and then there's there are these watchmen who are sitting and watching me dance and some were eating good cars some were watching intently some were, you know was you know doing their own thing i just needed to release it i just couldn't not dance so somewhere it's it's become as important as breathing it's very, very crucial to me in a day. In a day, I have to spend some time on my dance, even if I'm not practicing. So we're going to try something hopefully fun. We put together some rapid fire questions. Well, let's dive into it. What's your theme song? I like Friends. Is that valid? Sure. <laughs> There's no wrong answer. It has to be friends ever since I was 16. It's also reflective of your desire and just your artistic work is always centered on community and communication and bringing people together. So it's very fitting that it's friends. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next question. It's a fill in the blank. If I could collaborate with anybody dead or alive, I would choose blank. Ooh, this is tough. Mm -hmm. Michael Jackson. 
Ooh. That's a good choice. That's very interesting. Again, a master craftsman and a genius. I was introducing my almost six-year-old at home, and I had him watching Black or White over the weekend. And he was like, that's an Indian dancer. Why is she in the middle of the road? And I was like, yes, you're having that moment I had when I watched this video. <laughs> I <know. laughs> <laughs> and I was like, ooh, it's Michael Jackson. He's yes. so beautiful, right? I, I oh can watch gosh. that video hundred times. Yeah. He's a legend. Now, if you could only perform one piece for the rest of your life, what would it be? Not that tough also. It has to be a Varnam because I love Varnams. And I think it would be Mohamana. Interesting, because I did a satire of that piece for one of my productions and... I fell in love with the piece while doing the satire. So now I want to do it full <laughs> because I love Bhairavi. So I'm with you on that. Let's do it as a duet. Yeah. Oh, lovely. <laughs> one, wow. of my favorite, one of my favorite <laughs> buttonums. So train or plane to a performance? So it depends on the distance, actually. I've done trains too much, like one and a half days. And it's just like, ugh. Oh, I did Chennai to Delhi. Oh, my God. I know. It never gets over. <laughs> never again. I did one from Bombay to this place called Roorkela which is one, like 38. Oh my God. 38 hours. I was like, but you know, you learn a lot. I mean, you, you have fun also (laughs) in the journeys. You see, you, you experience a difference. So yeah, both, both. I want to take Nico to India. We're hoping to go pretty soon. And I want to take him on the train, but he's just like, Shatapti. I am not going on a Shatapti train. And I'm like, you have to go on a train. But now in Shatapti, they're not giving food and all kidding. Bangalore to Chennai, Shatapti. But take him. Wait, what? Yeah, they stopped because of COVID. They don't have like the tomato soup and all that? No, they stopped because of COVID. But by, oh. I think in another month or two, it should be back. So you'll be in time for tomato <laughs> Speaking of food, take it away, Maya. Next question. <laughs> Favorite meal after a performance? Biryani. Oh. Yum, which biryani? Celebratory, right? Like yummy mutton chicken biryani. Do you have a particular spot you like to go to where you're based in Mumbai? Any place that I'm practicing at becomes very sacred and becomes very like a favorite spot. So when I was using the Sankhya studio, that was temple. Now I have a small space. It's sweet. So when I go there, it's like my favorite place. Are there good food places around it? It's like next to my house. So I can't complain. <laughs> I just walk out and I found this place. So yeah, it's very close to home. And there's no eating and all during the studio time. Because I'm I'm so limited for time now. Like I go there for four or five hours and but it's just max on in, in a day. What's one thing people get wrong about you? That's a problem because I don't care. <laughs> what do you think I but I think they feel that because I'm so extrovert, I'm so expressive. I think many people just assume that I'm not good at planning or organizing. They just assume that I'm a very... Yeah, because I come across as very chirpy and cheerful, they automatically think I'm very dull and more, you know, in the other aspects of life. Like they think I'm, oh, you must be a terrible cook or... Small things like that, you know. It's just like, why would you think like that? I think they underestimate me, yeah. A lot of mm. people do. Because you're so you're so talkative. Like like someone like me, I'm always talking. So then they underestimate, they think that there's nothing more that she has to offer. Type. So yeah, a lot of people underestimate the possibility. What does your best friend tease you about? Oh God, <laughs> a lot of my horrible... No, 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 not horrible. A lot of my colorful decisions with some romance in the past. <laughs> so now that we are in this age <laughs> where we can really laugh about things and because it's been so long ago, it's like at least like half an hour dedicated Chinna to... <laughs> so it's like my at least half an hour is dedicated to my colorful past. <laughs> <laughs> Paramours. But this is how you learn and this is a this is life experience. Yeah. It all comes back to dance. Yeah, I completely own it and I, I am in I am so happy I made those <laughs> wrong choices before before stumbling onto the probably better choice. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really uh, it's okay. <laughs> 
What's the best thing that's happened to you this week? Oh, this week. I'm just back from an amazing immersive with my guru, Rama Vaithyanathan, and my friends. So technically, I'm meeting Akka nearly after three, four years because of pregnancy and then baby and then two years of pandemic. So I think yesterday when I went back, I came back on Saturday and I went to the studio yesterday. There was so much of lightness when I danced. I actually cried. I was like, oh my God, it is taking me so long to feel this light. And the Varna was, the jatis were just, just happening like that without like, without panting. And I think I was so, so grateful yesterday because after a long time, I felt like my body is feeling like how I generally feel when I dance. So all thanks to that immersive of 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. So Ramaman said that we are in a chilla. So chilla is this Hindustani style of completely cutting off from the outer environment and being immersed in your art form. And they do it for like a month or six months. So we had like a short stint of that in this immersive. So this is the best thing that could happen to me. And when I came back, to be able to dance like that has taken a long time. So I'm really, really so happy. That's beautiful. Because as I said, it's always about finding ways to dance whenever you can dance. What we usually close with is a call to action. What would your call to action be for our listeners? So I'd like break it down into different sections. I think as an artist, a call to action for everybody, I mean, myself included, is to be aware of where your body stands at this moment in time. If you're tired, accept it. If you're lazy, accept it. If you are nursing an injury, accept it. It's very important to understand and be aware of your body and not unnecessarily challenge it when it's not required. It's very good to feel like, you know, I'm motivated and I'm focused. But when you know your body isn't ready, then be gentle, like you said, like just give it some time. So I think as artists, we must respect our body and the state of mind that we are in. If you're feeling very chaotic and your dance is only aggravating that, then don't do it. It's okay. Or if you, for a person like me, when I'm very agitated, if I dance, it just helps. So kind of understand that and respect for an artist. And then I also feel that we need to be more inclusive of different opinions of different people of different styles of different modes and ways of expressing like we're so like oh this is aesthetic this is not aesthetic i like this i hate this everything is black and white so i think we should learn to keep more place in gray especially in our art form because we are doing our art form more harm in having such extremist views and yeah, I think it's important not only as artists, but as an individual to be more sensitive to the environment we are in, to the place that we are in. Like if you know that someone's going to be hurt with something politically or emotionally, then don't do it. Like just be more sensitive, read the rumor, read the performance space, read the people around you. For example, when I was just out of maternity, I kind of just went off Instagram because it was really annoying to see everybody dance. And I was like doing nothing. I was not doing nothing, but I was I was like having this, I was nursing a baby and I was just being happy, being a happy mom. And then I'm like, suddenly in the day, you'll see this and everyone's practicing and doing performances. I'm like, no, I need to get out of this space. So you need to understand what place is positively helping you and something that's not and just stay away from that negative space because it's difficult. It's very difficult to be positive. So find more positive things and be around more positive people. And as an organizer slash curator, I think my call to action would be like, think differently. Try to make the most of whatever resources you have. Like for this online festival, it really helped that I got in different kind of programming. Like I tried to get a Bharatanatyam, generally Bharatanatyam watching viewing audience, watch an art form like Yakshakana. And that happened because I paired it with Pashmanath or because it came and it gelled well and then they had subtitles so people could enjoy the grandeur of this art form, which otherwise you don't generally watch alongside Bharatanatyam. So I think trying to be more inclusive as a curator. And yeah, I think we should not be too scared of taking risks. Like this is the first time that I had a performing artist who was in less than their 30s or just in their, just about 30. I had a younger artist and then the main artist post that. So in AVAM, it's only the bigger artists who are 
generally featured or their work or their you know uh, like Pashanath came with ensemble he has never done a solo so it was a risk to feature like Prita Ma'am, Isha and Gauri but I felt like I needed to do it if not now then when and also I felt like the festival has kind of grown and it's proved its might and now is a good time to introduce the younger dancers so I think we have to keep taking risks and challenging ourselves as a performing artist as well, as an artist, you have to get out of your comfort zone, even as a curator. Otherwise, life is just too much. It's like everything you tick the box, the popular, yes. Oh, ticket seller, yes. Diva, yes. Then what, as a curator, what is the great thing that you do by getting great artists? How are you benefiting anybody? I mean, of course, watching great artists is great. But I'm saying, what are you doing for the industry? What are you doing for the younger dancers? How are you changing the game? So this is a question that I keep asking myself. How am I changing the environment? How is this going to change something? So even, you know, when I said, when I didn't want to take crowdfunding, it's like, I know I made a change. I know I bought that X amount of money, which would have not come in if I didn't go and approach it. I keep asking myself every year, what new, what change am I doing? So yeah, is this what call to action is? Yeah. I love it. I agree with all three points that you made. I, I think as dancers, we've got to be listening to our, our bodies. As as artists, we need to make sure that we're mindful of the rooms we're in and what we're bringing in and what we're taking away from them. And whatever we do, we need to ask, what are we bringing to the table by doing this? And is it making an impact in some sort of way in the world around us? And that's what art ought to do at the end of the day. Does it have an urgency to it? Does it have the potential to be transformative? And the answer is yes. But as you had rightly said, it's about taking risks. It's about pushing yourself. And it's also about understanding where you're at to be able to take such risk. And I think the way that you contextualize the call to action in all those three different facets will be really valuable for our listeners. And I can't thank you enough for joining us today on this off-season chat with Kirtana Ravi. We thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. It's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for agreeing to be a part of this and, and making time and space for us. Thank you so much, Amaya. And thank you so much, Kiran. It's been lovely to have this conversation with you. <laughs> Today's episode of Off-Season Chats would not have been possible without the support and encouragement of our amazing listeners and the following people. We edit podcasts for audio engineering, Sangeeta Kaushik for graphic design of our logo, and a very special thanks to Wesley Beeks and Bertel King Jr. Like what you heard? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends about us so that more people can find this show. You can also join our conversation by following us on social media at Off The Beat Dance on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or by visiting us at www.offthebeat.dance. We'd love to hear from you. Off the Beat is a passion project, and we really need your help to make this podcast a long-term and sustainable venture. Please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash offthebeatdance so that we can continue to bring you more content. And together, we can create a new dance future, one beat at a time. Join us next week for episode two of Off-Season Chats with Kaustavi Sarkar. Off-Season Chats is an Off the Beat production. Ah, me, nah. Ah, me, nah.